I want you to take a look at the, the title there, What Are You Waiting For? And, uh, you know, this, you could say this in a couple of different ways. You could say, like, you're angry. What are you waiting for? Why don't you do whatever? You could say it like uh, maybe a friend of yours, you know, that's, that's mad at you. I can't believe you that. Why did you do that? What are you waiting for? Or you could be, and maybe you've been there, I have, sitting at a red light that suddenly turned green and you weren't paying attention. And the person riding next to you gently says, kind of with that, did you forget your brain today? What are you waiting for? That's the one I want to focus on tonight. I believe Jesus is telling us that. God is telling us that through his word. And he's gently nudging us, what are you waiting for? If you read the news any time in the last, oh, 10 years, none of it's very good. Today, in fact, they had a, uh, some type of threat against the White House, some, some person associated with ISIS, so they had to, to uh, do their protocol for that and get rid of that threat. Uh, Duke University announced today, if you haven't heard, that they are now going to begin uh, prayer calls from the bell tower for Muslims daily. Okay. Um, you know all of the other news, the things that we fight with daily. And this is not just worldwide. This is right here. This is in Pineville. It comes down to our doorsteps daily. So I believe God's telling us gently, what are you waiting for? And so I'm asking you, are you waiting for a sign? Are you waiting for the right job? Are you waiting for the right promotion? The right spouse? The right grades? What are you waiting for? And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is what are we waiting before we start living the life God has for us? Why are we waiting? Don't be like the joke. I don't know. I heard it when I was a kid. I don't know how long it's been around. Um, there was a flood, and the guy got on the roof. He says, i am got faith in God. God's going to send somebody to save me. And along comes the fireman in the boat. He says, come on. He said, no, I'm good. Got faith. I'm not going to tell you the whole joke. He dies. He gets to heaven. God says, what were you waiting for? I sent a boat, you know, and a helicopter and somebody. Okay, so let's not be blind to what he sends us. It doesn't have to be. Uh, lightning come down and somebody in a, uh, with angel wings and somebody knocks on our door and gives us the Ed McMahon check. It doesn't have to be that grandiose. You remember the plan of salvation is simple. So why can't our signs to move be simple? Okay? We don't always have to have this wonderful testimony. All of us have a testimony because every one of us that have accepted the Lord as our Savior have the testimony that cannot be refuted. I don't care who you are. I don't care what country you're from. And I don't care what false God you believe. They can't refute that because the power of Jesus is better and bigger than all of those things. You know, God teaches us slowly sometimes. I, we have three daughters, as you know. And when we were teaching them to ride bicycles... We went over it, you know. I mean, you got the helmets, you got the knee pads, here's the wheels, here's the pedals. We talk about momentum and, and mo uh, motion and all that, and we talk about it, we show them, but we can't teach them to ride until they pedal for themselves. Now, when they started pedaling, I was right behind them, right? We're right beside them. God's right behind us and beside us, but until we take the step, no amount of instruction, no amount of prodding, will teach us that experience. We have to take the first step. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. And some of the excuses, I mean, there's hundreds, okay? Dozens, hundreds, thousands of excuses we can come up with. But we're going to talk about a few of the most common ones. 
Let's think about um, being uncomfortable. Any of you ever use that excuse? I have. I've used all these, by the way. I may not say that when I get to each one, but I've used them all, and I'm pretty good at using those excuses. Being uncomfortable. I don't like to do that. I don't want to go to Nicaragua and preach because I don't do that for a living. I don't understand that. I've never been to seminary. Okay? Let's talk about Noah for that. Noah never built an ark. Noah didn't wait till he built a few smaller boats to get the experience. Okay? He did it. God gave him the plan. He took the step. He was looked at as an idiot among all of his friends. Okay? But he took the step. Well, how about lack of experience? Okay? Lack of experience. You've never done what? You've never gone to Monroe Street and ministered. You've never gone to kids' ministry and handed out uh, and done face painting or handed out balloons or something. That, that's okay. Because God promises he'll be there with us, just like riding the bike. He'll be there. Talk about lack of experience. How about David? Never killed a giant. Never killed smaller people to get ready for the giant, right? <laughs> Never did that. Didn't have that experience, okay? So we're, we're discounting that one. Let's talk about the fear of the unknown. That's kind of the catch-all, right? Well, I don't know. You know, people may laugh at me. You know, they're going to make fun. It's not going to be cool. Not going to be my friend, right? Fear of the unknown. And for that, I like to talk about Joseph. Not the one you're thinking. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. We don't talk a lot about him. You know, what would have happened had he not followed? What would have happened had he just kept waiting and waiting? He was already kind of, he was already kind of trying to get out of this marriage, right? I mean, because... If anybody had an excuse, being engaged to a pregnant virgin, that's a pretty good excuse. Okay? All right? You have to think about these things. There have been many, many people throughout the scriptures that have overcome that first step. And God never let them do it alone. He was always there with them. Okay? Let me tell you a little story about uh, overcoming that first step and doing it maybe the wrong way. Uh, when I was 25, I was ordained as a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church. And I didn't know anything about being a deacon, okay? I mean, I read the scripture. I knew all that, passed the test. It really wasn't a test. Um, I got all that done. Well, the first, one of the main things we had to do was go on hospital visits. I don't like hospitals. I've had a lot of people didn't come out of hospitals when they went in. So I get my whatever, uh, what do they call it, uh, I was ordained, thank you, yes, and uh, so my first Sunday as deacon of the week, we had those, uh, I went to the hospital board, you don't get your own parking space, it's just kind of a, you know, you have to do certain things. One of the things you had to do as deacon of the week was get to the hospital list and go visit the people in the hospital. So I got this, all right, I can do this, I can talk, right, I mean, it can't be that bad. So I get on a sports coat, which I do not normally wear, I had a tie on nice pants, shoes. I was good. We went out and ate, and I said, look, I got to go. I'm deacon of the week. So, <laughs> didn't, uh, I didn't seek wise counsel, as they say you're supposed to do. I just decided I got this. This is easy. I can do this. I'll seek counsel on something else. Well, I walk in the hospital room, you know. Oh, I was nervous. I probably passed the door three or four times, knowing that's the door, but I acted like I was lost. Knock, knock, knock. Yeah, come on in. 
So I'll go in, and when I'm nervous, I make jokes, okay? Not a very good one sometimes. Sometimes they're lame, but that's what I do when I get nervous, okay? <laughs> Megan. <laughs> so I walk in, and I'm a little nervous. And so what do you know about hospitals, All right? The food's not very good, right? It's bland because everybody's in there for health reasons, and so they don't make it nice and yummy to eat. So I decided right there, I didn't plan anything. I just walked in and said, hey, there's a lot of family in there, somebody in the bed. Um, I said, well, they were alive. I mean, they were just in the bed. So my opening line was to break the ice was, hey, y'all doing okay? You getting a lot to eat? How's the food? Just, I mean, I'm like, what did I say? <laughs> Nothing. One of the daughters says, well, that's why she's in here. She had her partial stomach removal, whatever that surgery's called. Let me just tell you, you can't recover from that. <laughs> I went through thousands of recovery things, nothing. I, I just, all I kept thinking was, should I ask somebody how to do this? I just was honest. I said, look, I'm an idiot. Um, I am deacon of the week. But I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been here. I'm sorry. I apologize. And you know what? That was probably, out of all the visits I ever did and still do, probably one of the most meaningful ones for me, okay? Because they forgave me, invited me in, and we sat and talked for 45 minutes or an hour. And it was a really good visit, okay? Uh, they taught me much more than I was ever able to encourage them that day. I can tell you that's for sure. So... When you get ready to walk, when you get ready to take that step and you're tired of waiting because you realize that God's there and ready for you to go, you have to remember sometimes it's, it's good to seek uh, wise counsel. But I want to talk about a couple of scripture verses tonight. In Psalms 5.3 there, uh, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and I wait in expectations. In expectation, I'm sorry. If you look in different verses, sometimes it says, I wait expectantly. Sometimes it says, I wait anxiously. Uh, I like this version. It speaks to me. Um, it's okay to ask and to wait expectedly, okay? We don't have to be timid with our God. He created everything and everyone, so why would we walk around and shy away? All right, when your children, or when my children, everyone else that has any, you, you, you're going to agree with me. When they ask you something, or better yet, when you were a child, that includes everybody, when you were a child and you asked your parent for something, okay, your loving parent, did you wait and go, ah, now I'm not talking about if you ask them for $1,000, all right, when you're five. I'm talking about if you ask them for something that you wanted, but it's more of a want than a need. You wait expectantly because you know they're going to take care of you, right? Our Heavenly Father is going to take care of us. They only gave you, your parents only gave you the gift if it was good for you, right? So sometimes the answer was no. Sometimes the answer was yes. And unfortunately, sometimes the answer was what? Wait or not now or something else negative. <laughs> But it's okay to wait expectantly. This is not out of arrogance that we ask the Lord this. This is not out of uh, pity. All right, This is just like us as a child asking our earthly father. Um, and when he answers, I'll tell you, just like the deacon of the week thing, sometimes we know immediately what he wants us to do, and sometimes we don't. And that's okay too. 
all right? Because you have to be trained and taught. Um, sometimes you jump off before you're supposed to. You just have to stay in tune, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. You just have to stay in tune with him and through reading of the scripture, through prayer, through friends, through church, through surrounding yourself with positive people. Uh, several years ago, I was asked to, to join this Facebook group called uh, Chaplain's Corner, and it was a group of men, and I think a couple of ladies joined after I was uh, kicked out. <laughs> uh, wasn't kicked out. Um, they joined later, but what it was was ministers, retired ministers, folks like me that, that used to teach Bible studies and do different things, and they would write uh, basically like a little sermonette. Every person would uh, take turns, and every day you could go there, and we had a bunch of you know, followers or likes on Facebook, and people would read the sermons. It's basically just little short sermons. So I had decided one year that I was just going to knock them all out. And uh, I wrote, I had Easter Sunday. That was my day to post. And I wrote, and I wrote, and I had, I mean, it was, he was huge. And I thought it was pretty good. But it wasn't what the Lord wanted, and I'll tell you why. I thought it was okay, all right, from a human side. We had a uh, Easter sunrise service at the church that I, we were attending at that time, so I had to help with that. So we had to be up way before daylight, go set up the audio over the lake, and it was an outdoor thing, obviously, over the lake. And so I had to post it at like 1 o'clock in the morning so that it would be up for everybody when they woke up Easter morning to, to read it. Well, my title was Empty. I thought it was pretty slick, you know, the tomb's empty, right? You know, I thought that'd be a nice, nice title. So I posted it left, went and did the thing, came back, and there were all these messages on Facebook. Oh, that's, the, that's really cool. That spoke to me. I really don't like reading these sometimes, but that really spoke to me. I'm going, wow, I thought that was pretty good myself, you know? I'm thinking, all right. Well, then one of my friends posted, said, unbelievable. He said, you know, I, I really was wondering what you were going to do with that, and then when I opened it up and realized, that's really ingenious. That was inspired by God. It was empty. Yeah, I thought he meant the tomb. <laughs> it didn't post. <laughs> so when they opened up this awesome message, it was empty. Okay? <laughs> so what I thought was a great message was nothing, but what God wanted to be said spoke to people even though I messed it up. Okay? So when you're waiting on God, it's okay if you don't have all the answers. Trust me. It's okay. I'd be willing to bet Pastor gets up here a lot of times and doesn't say what he has in his notes because the, the Spirit comes upon him and leads him to say what he's supposed to say at the right time for those of us that need to hear it that day. And that's what it's about. There are times, though, that God speaks and you have absolutely no doubt that you understand it. And I really like those times. Uh, back on November 19th of 2014, like it was so many years ago, um, I, was, I've, I felt like I hadn't heard from the Lord in about a year and a half. Realize this is two months ago I'm talking about. But I had felt like I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And just struggling, telling Vicky, you know, I was like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Been on mission trips for years, just didn't feel led to do it. So we go, uh, Lisa had us over for, for dinner. It was a Wednesday night, November 19th. We got uh, pulled up in her driveway, and a friend of mine who I haven't seen 
physically seen in 10 or 12 years. We keep it together on Facebook and text and whatnot. Sent me a message, and the message said, pray about partnering with me in Nicaragua. It would be something different than what you're used to, but it would be a tremendous blessing. Because every time I go down there, we build stuff. My father-in-law is here tonight, the family, and we go down there and build churches, build houses, built tons of houses, but we don't get to preach. And he's talking about going down there and preaching. That was at 5.35 p.m. I went back and looked on my messages on November 19th. So I answered him at 5.53. I said, I'll pray about it. That was it. Yeah, that's a typical answer, right? I'll pray about it. I really meant it, though. I'll pray about it. 7.35, we come in here. Pastor gets up and reads the devotion for November 19th. If you still have the old book from last year, read it. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of aimed at me. He starts preaching about five, about 7.35. Yeah. You drove home the point to me. I don't have a clue what you preached on. I just took one sentence you said, has God's done it for you? I'm sure he has. I get one sentence, one word, and that's God's just beating me up. Like, you're going. You're going. I'm like, but I don't preach. You're going. Okay. 7.50, I leaned over to Vicky and said, I'm going to Nicaragua in January, but I'm not going to build. I'm going to preach. You know, just kind of, she just looked at me with that wife grin like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it all along. Apparently, if I could get in the communication line between her and God, I would learn things a lot faster. Yeah. I'm not there, okay? So at 9.23, I replied back to my friend, I'm in. That's all I wrote, I'm in. He replies, wow, less than four hours. You have a much better line of communication than I do. So anyway, next Friday, I'm flying out to meet him and 29 other people to go to Nicaragua and preach for 10 days. So, hope that works out okay. <laughs> um, I want to show you something else in Psalms. In chapter 37, it says, once again, the psalmist writes, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. Okay, When they carry out their wicked schemes, don't let that cause grief for you. Because you only compare yourself to the will of God that he's got for you. You don't compare yourself to everybody else's will, right? Okay? So we have to compare ourselves with what we've been given. All right? And it's not when you're waiting. It's not that he doesn't have a plan. It's not that he's not caring about us. He may be teaching us. He may be showing us how to be humble. Okay? He may be allowing life lessons to happen so that we can take those and share with somebody else that needs to hear them. Okay, let me think. Let me bring something out that I've never thought about before. Maybe some of you have never thought about it. Probably all of you have, and I'm just the slow one. All right, but when we talk about God, we're waiting on God. I mean, it's it's hard. It's really hard sometimes. It's hard to wait because you don't know did, did I miss something? Did I did I oh, was that for me? Of course, when you do know, you realize no, I didn't miss any of those. This is it. But I want you to think about, you know, we, we think of God as somebody that we have to wait on. But there is one time that you never have to wait on God. And it's instant. And that's when you're a non-believer and you fall on your face and you ask God to forgive you. And live in your life and in your heart and be your Lord and Savior. Right then, it's done like that. That is when our God, my God, never makes us wait. If you don't believe me, look at the thief on the cross. It's instant. It was there. All he had to do was ask. He didn't have to take any steps. He didn't have to go through any step program. He didn't have to go to school. He just had to accept. That didn't work. There we go. 
Oh, can you back that up, sir? Sorry. Um, I haven't been checked out on this, so you have to excuse the uh, errors. Uh, but uh, as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God. My Savior, my God, will hear me. I don't know if you read much in Micah, but he had some tough stuff he was dealing with and he was learning about and he was going through. And Micah talks about that, and it's so real for each of us today. I will wait because my God and my Savior, he will hear me, okay? He's not turning a deaf ear. And for those times that we are waiting, take courage and take, uh, take in the things that he's teaching us through, through, through patience, which, you know, that's a tough word. Uh, wisdom, another tough word. Be careful if you pray for wisdom because you're going to get it, okay? And wisdom is often learned through mistakes, okay? So be careful for that. I prayed for wisdom one time. I said I'd never pray for wisdom again. I'd pray for understanding. I don't know if he differs in those two terms, but I, it was a lot of tough stuff I had to go through there for a while. I'm not sure if I'm any smarter, but anyway. So my question to you is, what are you waiting for? All right? Are you waiting on God? If we are, then you need to stay alert. We need to be always alert. Anybody put together models, model airplanes, model trucks? Okay, there's a few. When you open the, you tear off the cellophane, you open the box, what's the first thing on there you see? Instructions. Okay. It wasn't some labor union that got them put in on top so you'd see them like shelf space in a gro grocery store. It's because you need them. From experience, you need them. Has anybody ever done it without the instructions? Did it work well? Okay. If it did, don't answer. All right. <clears throat> it didn't, I bet, because I've tried it several times and it doesn't work. I have a construction background. Started working for my father-in-law years before he retired. And, and he had me start out bending, uh, I'm sorry, straightening bent nails. Kind of thinking he didn't want me dating his daughter is what I'm thinking. <laughs> anyway, I learned from the ground up. Let's just say it that way. And in construction, Eric, we have plans, right? And you know what? You, you can build something conceptually, which I can say I want a house with three rooms and I want them this size and that size, and I, you can build it. Okay, but if the person that hired you to build it or the person that wanted you to build it has a plan and they never give it to you, then it's not going to match the plan because they never gave it to you, right? And you're going to wonder when you got finished, when they show you, well, that's not what I had in mind. I didn't know. So God puts the plan there for us to know. There's no excuse for not knowing what he wants you to do because we have the word to go by. And if we don't understand the word, there's schooling, there's classes, and let's not forget there's a church with a pastor who has been ordained to lead us in the things that we have questions about. So there's no excuse for us to not have the proper learning or instructions to follow through with what God wants us to do. And based on that, I want to show you this. God gave me this about 20 years ago as an idea. It's just a piece of rope. And before I forget, I have some at both doors when you're leaving. The ushers have been kind enough to have them in a bucket. And if you'd like to grab one to help you remember what we're talking about a little bit, then take one. But it is a simple piece of white string. It's a little nylon string, okay? And there's a knot in it. I call it the sin knot. Double meaning there. Okay? N-O-T, K-N-O-T. Anyway, it's a sin knot, all right? Sin not. 
Stay with me, Baron. Okay. <clears throat> on one end, you can, you can consider you, yourself on one end, okay? On the other end, you can say that that's God, all right? Now, what stands between you and God? I'm a visual learner, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. So that's why I have stuff like this. Um, there's something standing in between me and God. Could be money, a job, maybe friends that we don't need to have, okay? Um, maybe even the wrong church. Maybe just the wrong path that you're on. Could be pride. Could be self-doubt. Could be a lot of things. What's there? Well, you have to answer that for yourself and decide what's there. But what I can show you is what happens when you take the first step and you reach out for God, the sin disappears. Whatever is hanging you up is gone, okay? And you could, you could insert Jesus as the rope now if you wanted to. There's all different things you could do with this. But he's the straight path between you and God, right? So he's there. And when he's there, you have, he intercedes on our behalf. And when it's straight like that, you can't see any part of the sin that was holding you back. You can't see any part of that because you gave it up. And when, when Pastor baptizes folks here and he says it, which I love, you know, all of the sins that you brought here are laid at the bottom of this pool. And when you come out of that water, you're a new person. And you let it go and you leave it, okay? And only when we accept him does that happen. So you're doing pretty good, all right? You've accepted him. Maybe you've been a Christian all your life. Maybe you're a new Christian. But right now you're on a high. Well, what happens when something goes bad? Because we know that Christians don't have it easy. They just know who wins in the end, all right? If life is a game, that's fine because I'm on the winning team. I'm, I'm good with it. I know how the score is going to read at the end. But let's wait till uh, the bad news comes. And it will come. Okay? Uh, what happens then? If we don't stay connected in our church, in our small groups, in our Bible, and knowing the Savior one-on-one, -on -one, when the Mondays come, and we're not holding tight, what do you see there? slack well, what does that kind of start to remind you of a little bit you see something residue or resemblance or evidence of things that you thought were in your past well they are in God's eyes but in human eyes we can't forget and so what does Satan do oh you're no better than anybody else you're no better than you ever were you're still that same person you were. All the frills and all the hallelujahs and amens, you're still the same person. And when he gets down deep inside, it gets worse. It starts to come back. And you're like, well, that's resembling my old life. What am I doing now? And if you're not careful and you let him win, that's just when I took this and I just threw it on my desk at the office and I took pictures of it. Okay, where are you? Are you waiting with the knot? Are you doing pretty good? And 
you're kind of starting to think back of the way you used to be, let me tell you something else. The longer that sin is there, the more of an impression it makes on those strings. The sooner you get rid of it, the easier it is to keep it gone. If that sin's been there 50 years, it's going to make a bigger impression. It's harder to get rid of on the human side. That says nothing about the God side. God takes it and it's gone like that. But we have to deal with our side. Okay? So, where, whatever stage you're at, we need to be there. Okay? That's where we've got to get and that's where we've got to stay. How many of you remember DC Talk? All right? One of their famous songs, Love is a Verb. <clears throat> remember that? Yeah, it's old. That's for pastor. Waiting is a verb. Okay? That's not what the dictionary says. I'm telling you, waiting is a verb, and I have proof. If you look in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in prison, right? They're not having a very good Monday. I'm assuming it's Monday. They prayed, and what did they do? Did they just sit there? They just sat there. We prayed. That's all we can do. God's going to deliver us or he's not. No. They sang praises all night. They took the step and they prayed and they waited expectedly. All right? They were singing. They were living life and they're in prison. I don't know what your circumstance is. I know what mine is. But I can't wait and do nothing. I can't sit on my hands and do nothing. I have to live my life. And if I'm going to live my life, I have to live it knowing that I believe in Him and have the faith that He's going to be there to bail me out when I need it. Because He is my Savior and I've asked Him to be that way and I know He's there and I have the faith that He's always going to be there. Waiting is a verb. Okay? Don't let anybody tell you different. It's scriptural. Paul and Silas did it. God ordained it. I believe it. For this God, our God... Forever and ever, he will be our guide even to the end. Our end and his end, two different things. Our end is temporal. Our end is earthly. His end is eternal life forever with him. And that's where we want to be. Now I'll tell you, I don't know where you're at. and I don't know where you've been. God does, and he's the only one that matters, okay? If you grab one of these on the way out tonight, use it. Put it on your keychain, somewhere that you'll see it. It doesn't fit very good in the Bible. And think about what that knot is for you. You know, it's just a simple, I don't know what that is. I'm not a sailor. I guess that's a slip knot. I don't know. It slips out. Sounds like a good name, okay? I don't know what sin is entangling you and what's doing that, Maybe it's friends. Whatever it is, look at it this way. If it's got you, if it's got you real bad, you can't get out of it. You can't do it on your own. So you got to have God there. You got to accept that for him to pull that out. And he may use wise counsel from a friend. He may use your family. He may use your spouse. He may use your children. You don't know what he's going to use. Find out where you're at. 
take account, take inventory, find out where you're at, see where you need to go, okay? Use the instructions. Use the plans that God has for you. Don't leave them out there because everybody's plans are different. Everybody's. I don't know what you're feeling right now. I don't know if you feel like, you know, um, maybe I need to make a change. I don't have any idea. God knows. And I would ask that everybody just bow their head for me and just, just talk to the Lord. I mean, if you need, pastor's going to be up here. I'll ask the prayer team if they'll come up and stand. Uh, if you need prayer, just come up and grab somebody and pray with them. If you need to know somebody else to know maybe that you need prayer,